what what if we took like what if we called it like the strat 12 podcast or the strat 69 podcast what was it when lando got the gap that's back? what i was thinking scenario seven scenario oh, oh we're so close we're really close um i actually i also like not saying the blank blank whatever we come up with podcast oh, the? i like just calling it that thing interesting because you can seo it with tags right you can tag it. This is a motorsport podcast. This is an F1 podcast. The name does not have to do that. What about uh, box and confirm? <laughs> <laughs> Pit confirm. <laughs> box, box, box. <laughs> Welcome back to box, 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 where we're talking about racing. And, and there's like people listening. They're like, oh, racing? What? I thought this was a postal service podcast. Oh, I was thinking something, something else. Something else. <laughs> Pole position, mate. Pole position. Let's fucking go! Yeah! Hello and welcome to Strat 2. This is an F1 podcast that is really mostly motivated by the incredible season that we just had and we and friendship and friendship the f in f1 stands for friendship which is why we're here and you know that's what they don't tell you no that's secrets michael massey keeps to himself that's what people that only watched the uh the netflix documentary don't actually understand about f1 is that it's not formula one no it's friendship yeah drive to survive is a misnomer because it's it's really (laughs) ignoring all the positivity that's inherent to the sport um uh before we delve into actual things that people want to listen to yeah uh, i had a podcast that turned into a radio station uh, radio show um, uh, called uh, Battle of the Atlantic. It mm-hmm. was a hockey uh, show with my, my buddy Alec Branscombe. And the sharpest criticism I ever got was someone saying, you gotta stop saying hello and welcome at every single intro. It's making my ears bleed. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, guilty is charged on a literally another podcast that I actively do. It's so difficult. Hello and welcome. Yeah. How do you come up with a good greeting? I don't know. Who are we listening to? Who are you? What's happening? Yeah. Oh, hey, I'm uh, Callum Fraser. Hello. Um, I've been an F1 fan since almost, honestly, almost since I could walk. Uh, my dad and I were watching the Jacques Villeneuve, Michael Schumacher era and cheering for the Canadian in that, uh, Mr. Villeneuve. Uh, and my, my brother, who was two years younger than me, uh, loved the villain, in my opinion, in that scenario because his car was red. So he was a huge Shumi <laughs> fan. Um, and ever since then, I have been enthralled and obsessed with the sports at many times traumatized and depressed. But more recently, it has been so much more of a celebration. And at this point in my life, like all, all I want to do, like I, I wrote a couple of articles last year on a blog that no one read, but I was, it's some of the, the work that I'm like most happy with. And now I just want to like, I don't care who listens to this. Hey mom, for sure. She's listening. Yeah. Absolutely. Shout Hello out, mom. Hello dad. Shout out Elizabeth Wazalasco on this podcast. <laughs> um, but I just like, I just want to get thoughts out there. I just want to get thoughts out there on a three and a half hour, you know, yeah. uh, medium. I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. Yeah. And who no. are, hey, who are you? Hello. Hi, Corey Price. Not to be confused with any other athlete for the love of fucking God. <laughs> but um, on the flip side, I was a NASCAR kid, which is maybe a little bit sacrilege, depending on who you're talking to. Definitely a, 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 a tainted um, uh, legacy for sure. Yeah. Different kind of racing. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Different type of 
whatever. Yeah, grew up watching that with my dad and then honestly just kind of fell off of motorsport until uh, you kind of got me sucked back in at the beginning of the 2020 pandemic yeah. season because it was it's what was on and you were so you know dedicated to and enthralled by it that you sort of caught me up to speed. Um, well, we watched one race first and then I yeah. had been telling you about the documentary and then you were all in. Yeah. And that kind of like accelerated and gave you kind of like exponential growth in Since, obsession. Yeah, with the because sport. the first uh, the first thing I think we watched was the weekend of Austria. Was it? Well, that's where they reopened the season, right? Yeah, we watched that. And ever since they've had a total of seven races in Austria. Yeah, I believe. So we watched that one because it's the it's the scenario seven race. Absolutely. Um, how could I forget? Yeah. Uh, that's the week I got McLaren pilled. And <laughs> so that's what I've been working as with. everyone else did. I mean, like pick a God. It's McLaren is I, I try to find it, a more likable it, team. It's well, it's basically become the Mercedes of F1 now. It's the most popular. It's like the layup for whoever wants to get into. Yeah. Into F1. And like, I'm not going to lie. I, I don't like it. I'm kind sure. of, I'm kind of, it makes me hate McLaren more because they, they've kind of become the Yankees without winning. Just everyone, yeah. everyone is obsessed with this like alleged franchise, like this dynasty. Like I, well, the dynasty's there. It's just uh, dormant, right? Like historically, yeah. it's got it. And I, I don't know. Like there was just uh, something about. I mean, I guess really it was Lando's drive that day in particular, and like you know, like him and Carlos seemed like good, good fun, and I was like, let's go. And from there, I completely fell into a black hole. Is it fair to say that? Um the fact that F1 started being good the second you started watching was the reason why you stuck around because, man, we got we went through some brutal years it, it in the helps. 2010s. I'm not going to act like it doesn't help, but I think the benefit more is how I would describe it as like uh, I have the benefit of getting on at the right time. Um, and, you know, like a lot of people did because I think Netflix got lucky too, Absolutely. deciding to make a show about it right when it got good. Like that's some incredible foresight. Um, if you're not conspiratorially minded. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's get into the uh, season. The, just the, ended. the thing that just happened that blew everyone's mind. So if you didn't know, there was a race in Abu Dhabi recently. A couple things happened. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where we want to start. I feel like we have to put a disclaimer right away on this. I You're not going to find a, uh, a bigger Max Verstappen fan. That's true. I will be entirely biased. I, I try to be fair, but it will be entirely biased. Um, I do have the utmost reverence and respect for Lewis Hamilton, but this is coming from someone who... Um, okay, I actually going to throw this back to you. Uh, what was my... I'm, and I'm ready to speak on this. What was my reaction uh, at... The seconds after the the race had ended uh, last weekend, when you called me, thinking that you'd be celebrating with someone and and, and hooting and hollering. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we watched the end of the race, and I'm I'm popping off, and I'm like, okay, I need to call Callum, and I call, and he is weeping, just like hyper hyperventilating, inconsolable. Crying. Like if if I had called you under any other circumstances, I would have been very concerned. Yes, absolutely. You could not get full sentences out. You were just like, we'll just talk after. Like, it was like, it was a very like, I was like, oh, I'm concerned a little bit. Yeah. You were and overcome I yeah, I, with so Max winning. I, uh, I've idolized two athletes in, in my, in my lifetime. One is Tiger Woods. Um, and the 2019 masters, that victory was like one of the greatest days of my life. And because it was, there had been so much controversy. There had been so much um, 
you know, there was so much unknown about the future of, of his career. And I had been with him like for a very, very long time. The first golf tournament I ever watched uh, was the 2008 US Open when he won on a broken leg. And that just made me like entirely enamored and infatuated with this like mythical being. But I hadn't been there from the beginning, right? He started his career in 1996. Mm-hmm. So big day, 2019 Masters, of course, huge. But when Max first got into the sport, I was like, that's my dude. That's my guy. I, I, I can tell this guy is remarkably talented. And the thing that I respected about him the most was, was the fact that he didn't give a shit about what anyone else thought. And you could tell, and at 17 years old, you could tell he was about to flip this sport on its fucking head. Like he was about to make people viscerally angry that he, he was going to make people cry. He was going to make people just like so frustrated. And I was just, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't think of a better bandwagon to hitch myself to. And I, I obviously he hadn't had a, a race in F1 when I committed to the, this kid. So it's not exactly a bandwagon, but I knew he was going to be massive and I knew he was going to be massive for the most inspiring reasons. And it like, there were some tough times for sure when Red Bull was, a concrete p3 team Mm -hmm. but it has it has completely they like sticking with it and obviously like um going the opposite direction of ferrari the past couple of years and then you know challenging mercedes like it's it's totally evident that like there's hard work and their expertise and like being led by christian horner and an incredible um driver max verstappen has like it's the it's the really it's the true like get to the back to the mountaintop moment right of the Sebastian Vettel era where they won four in a row and to go through a lot of turmoil and difficulties and then to make it back to the top of the top of the mountain that's what I felt with Tiger right when mm-hmm. he went through all those back surgeries and you know the controversial 2009 um, uh, scandal it was like we're, we're back at the mountaintop and I went through all of the difficulties and the heartbreak and that's why like the, it was just such a release of emotion yeah and it was like I was genuinely uh, like taken aback, but I mean that positively. Where I was like, "Whoa!" I was like, "Okay, dude, I'm gonna I, let you have this moment." I my my wife. So my wife was like, she was still. It was an early morning race, so I was still. She was still in bed actually. Like when the race ended around like nine forty or something like yeah, that. About that. Um, and she came out so concerned. I, I like I cried for ten minutes, hyperventilating, crying. Yeah, because it was so. This season had been, there's been so many up and downs. And when I knew that if, so, if like one of five things went Max's way during the seat, like before Abu Dhabi, then he would have had, he wouldn't even, even had to have race in Abu Dhabi. Right. Yeah. So when you're watching like Lewis take P1 into turn one and then like Red Bull try and throw like a hundred things at him and it just doesn't work. Yeah, right off into the sunset as he often does and you're yeah. just like well fucking here we go. And it's like this is how this season is going to end for me and then for so I was like in a pretty deep depression for 52 laps. Yeah. And then you know it's just like this kind of massive massive release of emotion that is kind of like pent up through nine months. Re- realistically, it's not. It's not like oh, that race was so crazy. It's kind of like I've wanted this so bad, yeah. and it's been so. It's been there, but it's and it all been, almost been taken away. And then you can just like finally like relax. Well, and the season itself had been ridiculous, right? Like, and I think even you know just to the flip side, um, I'm not a Mercedes person. Good, but I think you look at <laughs> how everything was shaping up going into the end and. Like you're saying, essentially, like 
um, Mercedes being the Death Star, but also like yeah. digging themselves into a hole. So you sort of had both teams having to be in that aspirational, like we have to go get this mm-hmm. mode, which is really unique because usually, you know, your your dominant dynasties tend the, the reason they're like that is because they're not making those errors. Yeah. So watching the team and watching Lewis flip it on was equally like oh this it's fucking rubbing your hands go time like and then watching it culminate that way let's let's start at the end i think yeah there's two ways we can go about this we can either talk about what happened on the final lap or we can talk about like the excite sorry the excitement of the final lap and like how max pulled it off or we can start with was it right what the fia did i think we have to start there it's it's the more like yeah i i agree i agree bookish topic but it's like because you know the FIA obviously released its rationale mm-hmm. for um, 48.13 in the regulations superseding 48.12 and like get your textbooks out folks yeah this is uh is it gonna I'm, be a- I'm not gonna go into the the nitty-gritty <laughs> of it <laughs> yeah, yeah. because you know people have looked it up but you know I I did want Max to win because I was excited by the idea of also getting into a sport and being a new fan right at the time where like there was really something interesting going on. And that's not to say that like the fact that Lewis Hamilton is smashing like every record known to man isn't interesting, but the idea of people being able to take it to him also is. Mm -hmm. So like seeing that was really exciting, but like I have not shaken the feeling despite assurances from the FIA that the rules were not half implemented. I feel bad for you. I've, I, I have never had the feeling of, <laughs> of feeling like that was yeah. stolen from Mercedes. I don't feel like it was stolen, but it does the circumstances in which it was ultimately won. Mm-hmm. Because like, there's nothing wrong with the max that pass, uh, the pass that Max made or anything like that. Like in the racing of the final lap, because Lewis nearly caught him back up. Like, let's not mm-hmm. forget, like it was really in there, but the those circumstances feel contrived to me. And that's a very sour note mm-hmm. for it. I think Max is extremely deserving. I think, like you said, given one fewer DNF, he oh already God, won. Yeah. Like he was the most consistent driver barring calamity. But, basically all season arguably i don't know if the numbers bear that out but he basically finished oh, one does. and two. Oh, i've oh I've, t- I've done the stats yeah. i've done that believe me and we'll hear about that later on in the podcast oh yeah but so i despite who deserves what which is you know a debate we can have all day if we wanted the circumstances do feel contrived and it's a symptom of the inherent problem that is the the stewarding mm-hmm and rule enforcement of the yeah. whole season was a train wreck. Absolutely. I where my stance is on it. So one, I want to be very clear. I'm not saying that the rules should care about who has deserved it more over the season and therefore, you know, uh, uh give way to the driver that, you know, you feel has right. has it, it should be rewarded with the championship. <laughs> right. Having said that though, this one moment, this one screw up by the FIA, alleged screw up, by the way, because I kind of am on the side of Michael Massey in a little. Mm, I wonder, but I wonder this, if the Max guy <laughs> might be pretty happy with the ruling. But this, the reason why people are so pissed off is that it happened on the final two laps of the season. 100%. Now, there were so many decisions with uh, Max and Lewis. 
with regards to what the FIA decided to do that ended up altering the championship that happened before the final two laps of the season. Like, and they all affect points. Which I'm assuming... All, absolutely. Now, so, like Silverstone, Brazil. Sure, like, sure, sure. Yeah. But I actually... I'm not even going to focus on that okay. right now. Like, let's just talk about the Abu Dhabi weekend, right? So Lewis isn't even investigated for a possible reprimand in, in practice. Oh, the Mazepin thing. Yeah. Right. So he's not even investigated for something that would have actually ended up in a grid place drop. Okay. Then. Not that those seem to impact him much. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, though, like with how well Checo was driving at that point. Minister of Defense, if, baby. If, if Checo had, had needed to give that defense for Max with Max ahead of Lewis and not the other yeah, way around. Heroic. Who knows what happens, yeah. right? So, but And then let's talk about the, the, the turn one uh, turn. Uh, Five. five incident five. on the first lap to me it is entirely clear-cut if lewis does not want to defend that corner which he entirely you know showed that he did not want to defend and that he felt entitled to the racing line then he must pay the consequences for max throwing up a dive bomb not colliding with him and forcing him forcing him off the track and giving him no max reason stayed within track limits absolutely too. absolutely yeah so there's another thing right not only, and people are talking about how Lewis didn't give back the advantage he earned. That's the advantage he earned had nothing to do with time. It had everything to do with position, right? Because if Max keeps that first spot with soft tires, then it's a completely different race. And who knows what strategy Red Bull can, can yeah, pull in, out. So mm -hmm. this entire race, in my opinion, has been, um, it, it's definitely, the FIA has, has definitely impacted the race, but not in the you know blatant black and white way that everyone believes to be to have uh, to have it have impacted on the final two laps of the race. Like it's to me, it's it's all coming together for one giant clusterfuck, and it's not just the one decision to let the lapped cars pass and to have the safety car in on that lap. That decision is pretty wild, though. Absolutely, that's the thing, and I think. That decision feels audacious in a way that, like, why aren't you enforcing track limits doesn't. And I think the reason where you're getting the more negative reaction is coming from is that the contrivance comes with people wondering, why are you making this decision here? Because obviously, uh, well, of course, they're setting up the one lap showdown. That was why. But that's the part that feels contrived. I went back and I listened to most of the final lap driver radios so from behind the safety car. Yeah. I don't, I'm not going to say the majority. Several drivers are just like, what's happening? What's, what's up? Um, my favorite line from that is actually when, uh, Daniel Ricardo gets to park for May at the end. And he's like, that seemed kind of fucked up. I don't know what was up with that. Glad I wasn't involved. Yeah. And I don't think that's an indictment of him saying the wrong thing happened, but I think what it speaks to is just everybody looked at that and nobody was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Everybody's like, what? Hold on. And then you've got the opposite end of the spectrum in Fernando Alonso. Relishing that it. <laughs> we need to get these lapped cars out of the way. Max should be right up the ass of Lewis right now. This is absolute bungling from the FIA. Like, I love how much he hates he Lewis hates and how much Lewis he him. loves Max. Yeah. Um. So I, I think for me, and part of it, um. actually, if anybody wants to go read it, if you go to Waypoint, Rob Zachney, who was on Shift F1, wrote about this. But part of the, my frustration with it is uh, how did Michael Massey become the protagonist of the end of the season? Like, how did Michael Massey and the FIA become the focal point 
of a discussion that has center pieced around two drivers at their absolute peak just going at each other like how that's so frustrating was that not foreshadowed the entire season though that doesn't make it feel any better though yeah okay. when like they had an opportunity to not do that okay the last the last point i want to make on this whole uh you know red bull vindicated fia vindicated is that okay well actually two things first of all before the race started, and we know this from uh, Damon Hill, who was reporting this for um, Sky Sports, every single team agreed that the championship needs to end, if possible, if like for the FIA to do everything within their power, which apparently they did, to end under green flag racing. Yeah. So the only argument to me is that, okay, maybe, maybe we should have had two laps with the lapped cars in there. You know, yeah. Like maybe, maybe, maybe the FIA needed to try a little harder to make sure that that car was cleared. Whether it's like throwing a red flag out there, um, or the problem is that sets a weird precedent <sighs> for red flags because it clearly, it just clearly isn't. I'm not going to say that they didn't have a hand tied behind their back and making a decision that felt fair to everybody, but I, I do think they made arguably the worst possible one, not for racing because that lap was incredible. I'm not going to sit here and act like it wasn't. There is documented video footage of me losing my mind <laughs> yeah like i was stoked because it was fun but when you look at it in hindsight i'm not outraged but i'm like um you know since they've withdrawn their appeals the mercedes line has been we can't let this happen again yeah and it, and it will not and i agree <laughs> it will not happen because again. i i think you know especially if you look at this from the mercedes perspective which is again inherently biased on track, most of the race, did Lewis have that in the bag? Yes. Is it justifiable to feel aggrieved? Sure. But, like, could you imagine... what would? How would you have reacted had the positions been swapped, livid. Absolutely right? livid. Like, I'd be losing my mind. And I think that reaction justifies a level of frustration with the FIA here. Because it does take something that, while controversial through the season, felt like it was a little bit better controlled than this even at its worst moments and it feels like the the horses got out of the barn at right at the end like okay. is that a phrase that people yeah. say uh it is now okay i know i said that was the last thing i want to say but one final one and this is going to be a fanboy point sure toto got what he deserved because the one of the most egregious things i've ever seen from a team principal is someone getting on the line and thank no god safety car? thank god f1 is is showing us the radio between the FIA and the team principals this year because it is people are showing their asses on that thing. A lot of team Toto, principals Toto, are apparently whiny as shit. Yeah. Toto calling for no safety car when Antonio Giovinazzi had his car uh, stranded parked. on track. Yeah. Which, by the way, I'm totally, I will totally admit, not the most dangerous situation. But, dude. But, like, safety is. Shut up, yeah. man. Like, what? You can't advocate. For the FIA to treat um, potentially to, dangerous situations yeah. as not insane, and it was it was entirely out of um, uh, wanting to the keep. idea to to strategize with advocating for lesser safety protocol, right? Yeah. Like, and when the FIA has a spotty track record with making correct yeah. safety calls, oh God. or like marshals on track, or like people getting yeah. hurt, like you can't make. You can't bend that. And I think um, there were a lot of incidents throughout the whole season. I'm struggling to think of specific examples, but I just have this feeling about it where it's just like, yeah, seeing the way 
team principles interface with the FIA. I would love to know if it's always been like that or if something's being played up here because like it's unbelievable the amount of like that's going on. Can I? Though it is their job to an extent, I suppose. I have a hunch that it's actually been dialed back this year because it's public. Public. Because it's public. I would love to know what it would have been like. I honestly think that's a totally fair point. Like when you know that you're not showing your ass, like if, if in the heat of the moment you are willing to say that and know it might be public, what have you said in the past or petitioned for? The other thing obviously is, is the fact that we, we haven't seen a two race, a two team title fight like this since probably like 2008 because I, I, 2012. Uh, what was that? Red Bull and Ferrari. Oh, you know what? You're right. You're right. But I, what I was, I was trying to get past the whole, like, you know, Vettel's kind of meek attempts to, you know, take the championship from Hamilton in like 17 and 18. That fizzled. I don't think those count. Yeah. Yeah, With like three races. Yeah. Seb kind of washed out. Okay. Let's do the final lap. Um, I was so shocked, so shocked that Max threw it up the inside of Lewis before the two long straights. And I had, I had no idea why in the world he did that until you saw the uh, other straight until the set. Well, until I saw what ended up happening. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, of course there's no DRS. Right? So he needed to catch Lewis at the first available time where Lewis was not defending a corner because then you can dictate uh, uh, who has the inside line, right? You can, you saw in both straights, Lewis, uh, Max did not make the mistake that Lewis made twice in the race on the, on the long straights where he allowed Max to dive it up on turn, uh, on lap one. And then he also allowed Checo to overtake, re overtake him on the second straight. That was straight. so fucking good. So, <laughs> and we will get to that later on in the pod, but, uh, Max was talking, uh, with car next and, um, uh, DC, the the next day and they asked him like what what was your what were your intentions like did you always know you were throwing up the inside into into turn four and you know yost kind of says like i had no idea why he did that and and max max says yeah the team had no clue why i did that or like if that i was going to do it but he said that he needed track position going into the straights because he knew he could break the toe he knew he had great uh he had better tires and actually the red bull's engine that week was decent on the straights, so he knew that he could dictate the defense into both hard braking zones we've certainly seen max uh you know break the toe in the past to varying degrees and i think if you just look at if you consider how close hamilton did get to getting that place back because like i it was by no means a slam dunk but he was very close and consider that max didn't make the pass until the first straight was over or make an attempt until the first straight was over. I don't see how he, I, I don't see how he does it because then if Hamilton's able to break toe and you know, like that his tires are old obviously, but like it's Lewis Hamilton. Like yeah. you can't bet against that inherently. You can't just say like, Oh, given X, Y, Z, whatever. Z, this is a Canadian podcast. It everyone. Is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like dude finished a race with three wheels. <laughs> like, yeah, I uh the other thing too is all these people that are saying that Lewis was a sitting duck. I don't really get that because of the fact that there was no DRS on the on the final lap. To me, he could have won that race still, but he decided not to defend into turn 4. 
he dis- that was a decision he made and he made that decision three times that ended up ultimately potentially costing him that race because one okay let's talk about so the, the the first lap incident where he doesn't defend into turn five okay if max is rightfully you know given that place back or lewis gets a five second penalty who knows what happens right now the checo thing too ended up uh forcing hamilton to stay out and not make a pit stop when the safety car happened right so they're again feeling entitled to that race to that uh, racing line Can i pick a quick fight with somebody Sure. Um, Sebastian Bourdais, who used to drive for Toro Rosso. Oh, my Rosso, God. My brother sent me this. This is the worst take in the he, world. He, essentially, his take, uh, it's in reply to a Will Buxton tweet. Go find it. Um, is that it was unfair racing on behalf of Checo to not just let Lewis go. And really quick, we'll get to this later because I know we're going to talk about polarization. But... Where did this idea come from that if there are two contenders, they are the only two people allowed to race ever? Because it happened through multiple races where they'd be like, oh, why is like fucking Esteban getting in the way or whatever? And it's just like, <laughs> they're they're all here to do the same yeah. thing. Like, I like. Well, the other thing. So two things on that. One, um, it's incredibly rich for anyone to complain about someone being backed up at Abu Dhabi when Lewis Hamilton did it to his fucking teammate in 2016 at the final race to try and win the championship from him. Like, so ultimately right away, if it happens with Lewis at that track in the final race, when the championship is on that line, just shut up. Second of all, that's kind of the first time, no, the second time all year that Red Bull was actually able to use the, uh, the second driver to aid their first in the championship battle. Mercedes has used Valtteri over the years. Like a pawn. Yeah, absolutely. With no regard for his own stake in the championship. He or stake. never had a chance. Absolutely. So cry me a river, man. Like, that was some of the best defending I've ever seen and some of the best team play I've ever it, seen. It was... I. I... I think back and you dangerous know, driving my ass. Like, yeah. come on. Well, and I look at that and like my 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 favorite team got a one two this season. Yeah. So I can't say it's my favorite driving I saw all year, <laughs> but it might be my second favorite driving that I saw all year. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Although I do want to ask a quick question about this, and this might be a good way to transition to it because I know you wanted to get to it when we were uh, scouting out topics for this. One of the ways that you phrased one of the ideas, and I was. I was kind of struck by it was did Checo redeem himself yeah. with defensive Hamilton yeah, redeem himself from what? Okay. Let's go to that right now. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally on board because I think people get the gist of how we feel yeah. about the conclusion of the championship. I think it, it feels a bit contrived and gross, but I liked the lap, mm-hmm. et cetera. So, so, and keep in mind, this is coming from a Red Bull fanboy. Uh, yeah. Okay? Yeah. I, I assumed that was I an wanted, aspect of it. I wanted no more than, and I was excited for the acquisition of Sergio Perez. I thought Nico Hulkenberg would have been a great driver for that seat. Um, I thought actually Pierre Gasly, like what he had shown at Alpha Tauri after coming off of that just... I can't wait to talk about Pierre later. But. Just catastrophic season or half season with Red Bull. I thought actually he was um, potentially a, a good fit for that seat as well. Checo Perez coming in though, like the tire god, um, you know, great racecraft as well. I was expecting so much more and I gave him leeway for like four or five races. Um, and Baku was like, I don't believe that he deserved this victory because obviously Max's tire failure and then Lewis's lockup into turn yeah. one. But 
I was like, maybe this is the confidence he needs, right? There were far too many times after that, that he didn't make it into Q3, that he wasn't up in the fight to kind of um, affect Lewis's race or affect Valtteri's race in that Valtteri and Lewis were always, always in a fight with Max. And it was so difficult for me to see Mercedes talking about how Red Bull have the best car, which by the way, and I'll, I'll prove to you that it's not true later on in this podcast, but Mercedes were, were just like so impressed by how this, that Red Bull had managed to uh, have a car that had such great balance and Honda's engine was working so well and Max was fighting for victories and he was leading the championship for so long, then why the hell is the second driver in the exact same car where the only difference is that you choose how to set up your own car? That's the only difference between the car that Max and Checo have. How in the world is this guy always fighting for like P4 and P5 and barely make it into Q3? So at multiple points, in the season, I thought, okay, maybe, you know, maybe Turkey, you know, he did stop Lewis from potentially getting a podium. And, maybe and Alex getting... Albon was right and this yeah. car is too hard to drive. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that was definitely, that was definitely a bright spot in the season, but then he, he dropped off again and he was completely it's, nowhere it's really in the final six or seven lace, races. Seeing it from all recent yeah. Red Bull second drivers. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating. He definitely has had the best season of a Red Bull second driver since like Daniel Ricciardo. Yeah, cumulatively, yes. But, I think there was a stretch where you could make the argument that that was not going to happen. unequivocally, my opinion going into Abu Dhabi was that he had not done enough to impress in that second seat and he had not done enough to aid Verstappen in his title fight. But he ended up basically, and if you want to go from this perspective of like, uh, because it was tied in points, I guess we had a, a one race battle for the championship, which again is just silly to me. But if you want to like look into that perspective, then Checo Perez had a massive hand in how Max won the championship. And to me, you, you give that guy two or three years right away. He's the reason why you won so much yeah. money and so much advertising and, uh, you know, uh, jersey jersey sales yeah. shirt sales he's also and like, king of mexico which yeah. will go a long way <laughs> so to me i it, it was completely now now he does have to drive well next year for me to stay in this you know he's the right guy for the seat um standpoint this this mindset that i have but to me like all of the the mishaps and the poor driving and the poor qualifying is all forgiven by that incredible, incredible one and a half lap battle. You that know what he, this reminds me of? You know what other team added a really exciting driver who wildly underperformed? <laughs> Daniel Ricciardo. Fuck, man. Okay, <laughs> like, I, we all love Daniel. Daniel's the best. He seems like a really fun guy to be around. You know, that's great. Where the fuck were you, man, for like most of the season? However... In a similar to redemption argument, will I take Monza? You're goddamn right I will. <laughs> I find it I found it rather peculiar that um he was complaining about the McLaren being difficult to drive because when I watched like Lando is an incredible driver, but I yeah. don't see him wrangling that car. It wasn't a, I don't think if my memory serves me correctly, his complaint was less about that than that it didn't suit his driving style. So it was about making adjustments, not to what the car was doing to him, but what he was doing to the car. Right. And so much of that's going to be like ingrained habit from largely how the Red Bull drove, but even like then getting to grips with how the Renault drove 
And then I guess the McLaren was just set up in such a dramatically different way that he was struggling to get to grips with how to do the things that we know he can. You don't get last of the late breakers as a nickname for no reason. And it never materialized. He was constantly out in Q2. He was firmly lower part of the midfield. Um, There were races where he was finally getting like, you know, P4s, P5s. And I was like, we're cooking. And then it just never came the same way right at the end it felt like he was turning it on a little bit but then it just kind of yeah you think that that win in monza is should a re- have been the it, thing well it's, it's like a release of tension and maybe he can finally like okay i've proven myself and yeah. maybe that was a bit of the maybe there was a bit of a, a, a mental i think aspect there has to, to be. his struggles yeah and then he just was even worse he was almost worse than the start of the yeah, year but i think the problem is i i do want to i know that Daniel wasn't as involved in this, but I do not think you can overstate the degree to which the loss in Russia sucked the air out of that team. Right. Where it's like, I think that Daniel's already not at the top of his game to start the season, uh, but we're still doing well. You're like, like you said, four or five races, get to grips with the car, understandable. Lando gets off to a fucking incredible start. Lando is P3 in the championship for like four or five races right at the beginning. And you're like, yeah. when Daniel turns it on, yeah. like, Ferrari fucking see ya. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, Carlos Sainz is alive and he drives race cars and um, save it for grade the drivers, Corey. Yeah. We don't have time for this. No, no, no. But <laughs> incredible season from him, of yeah, course. Yeah, but I, I think that it's so tough because any, yeah, the momentum was just kneecapped by Russia. I feel like for the team and then that comes down to not just, I know there's two sides of the, the garage, but you know, that's so demoralizing. <laughs> and then you see Ferrari be as consistent as they are. And it just, there was no coming back from that. And I feel like if Daniel had been there from right at the start, even if we struggled in that mid part of the season, there was a, there was an opportunity to build a buffer that you couldn't surpass. Because I do think that if you just look at the performance of the car, the McLaren was the third or fourth best car on the grid easily. Mm-hmm. Um, because when I think you look at other teams, there were car, there were drivers doing some magic with some of those cars, but yeah, that was just frustrating in the same way. I don't, I think if the Monza win came later in the season, I would feel a bit better about how Ricardo did. Um, but yeah. Yeah. The other thing too is Monza is a pretty easy track to drive at. Yeah. And that was a very engine like it was very clear McLaren was the fastest car because their engine was working properly and had the, they had the right aero package yeah, we, right we actually nailed, well, by the way Mercedes actually was the fastest car that week they took one and two in the in qualifying yeah, we nailed the setup but, though for sure yeah like, but but McLaren like clearly the sprint race teed us up like perfectly mm-hmm. um and then you know Max and Lewis do Max and Lewis things and you know you, you win okay let's let's transition to that then who had a better season Max or Lewis um in your standpoint and also pick a guy and and tell me uh how large the gap is between those two that just overall their performance no no points no no controversy just performance in the car can you guess who I'm gonna pick I can <laughs> um bold third choice from you saying Valtteri um no (laughs) but uh I think Max did however when you take into consideration the comeback Lewis was mounting the gap I'm doing visual bits but the gap is like that much it is very he has less than an inch between his fingers right now it's very it's very close and I think 
what Max proved, and the reason why I have him there, aside from the fact that he won, was the consistency when his car or fate did not let him down was mm-hmm. unbelievable. The, literally the greatest of all time, statistically, yeah. by the way. Yeah. When, if you're talking about if he's not getting hit up the side yeah. um, or uh, a tire failure or yeah. a, a, an engine failure, literally the greatest season of all time yeah. from that standpoint. However, the reason why the margin is so slim, it's like what I said earlier, you can't count Lewis out. So the fact that he had it in him to claw it back mm-hmm. and get that tie speaks to so much of what people already know. I'm yeah. not going to rehash oh. why Lewis Hamilton is great. Are you kidding me? Yeah. But I think Max being the first person to, I guess short of Rosberg, because I didn't watch that season in full, but to really fucking stick it to him speaks to, to, to modern day Lewis. Like we're not yeah. talking about like McLaren Lewis. Yeah, which was Lewis Hamilton now is like mythic right yeah. like so to to bring that down to like an attainable level is such a testament to the season that max did have that i think it has to be him but again with the comeback the margin is very slim mm-hmm. okay here's gonna, this is gonna be a rant um it's, you're, gonna, you're gonna say it's a much wider margin I, I have absolutely i have so much respect for the season that lewis had his perseverance was i think something really really something to be proud of and I believe that Max persevered as well uh, with, you know, how he came back from disastrous races in which, the, you know, he had nothing to do with. And that can really bog down your mental state. Um, so there's perseverance there. But like in race perseverance, like you talk about like what happened in Imola for Lewis to perfectly, you know, after he makes just a, a bonehead mistake, throwing it into the gravel trap while lapping cars, yeah. you know, low revs, bring that thing out and and grab P2. Um there were multiple instances this year in which it was like you saw that exact desire to just keep pushing, just keep yeah. pushing. So I would like give it up for Lewis, everyone. Uh, incredible season. However, I knew it was coming with pure racecraft and pure speed and pure performance. It wasn't particularly close, in my opinion. Baku, Hungary, and Silverstone. Okay, Baku. Max's tire blows up. Fate he, intervenes. He, he, win, he wins that race. He probably would have taken fastest lap as well. The Red Bull was super quick. Hungary. Bottas throws it up the side of him uh, into well, to Norris. And then obviously, for some, re- for some reason, Max ended up getting two points that race. It was, it was an incredible drive afterwards. Mick was trying to stop him. <laughs> Silverstone 2. This is the third race that I want to mention. Yeah. Silverstone. Uh, not like Baku, in which he should have, um, you know, taken a, a 25 point. Uh, he should have taken 25 points, and it ended up being zero zero because Lewis obviously um, had the magic on. Yeah. Um, Silverstone was even more difficult because it was clear the FIA had deemed that it was Lewis Hamilton's fault, and I had also done so. I had also deemed that it was entirely. If you Lewis can believe Hamilton's it, folks. Fault. And Max walked away with minus 25 points that race. So three races he scores a total of two points and also you know lewis uh finishes p2 in hungary and uh wins the race in silverstone so there were there were places where you know uh the crash in in italy you could argue that that's it that's somewhat on max although i will argue that it was a lot closer to a racing incident than people say yeah but i think but where like if we are assigning blame that is the one that is the closest to being purely max's fault right and if you're on a sliding scale yeah 
But the fact of the matter is, when Lewis got unlucky, it was either his fault or it ended up being a 0-0 draw in points for the weekend. So, moving on. He also had the second best car. Okay? I went back through all the races last night and I'm not I'm going to I'm going to semi quickly because I want you to like call me out if you believe that any of this is is unfair. The races where the Red Bull looked superior and had better performance in my opinion, Bahrain, Monaco, Baku, France, Austria twice, Spa, Netherlands, USA, and Mexico. Spa is so hard to judge. <laughs> it is, but but you just have to give it because uh, I also went back and I saw some P uh, P1, P2, P3 uh, uh, statistics and Max, they, they looked like they had the faster car at uh, um, in Belgium. So that's 10. That's 10 of the 22 races. Mercedes looked better in Imola, I believe. Lewis took pole and if that was a dry race, he would have won for sure. Um, Portimao, clearly. Uh, Spain, clearly. Silverstone, Max's um, uh, Max's sprint race and getting Lewis um, on the first lap was the only reason why he ended up being in that race. Uh, Hungary, obviously. Uh, Italy, they took one and two in qualifying. Uh, Russia, you know, Bottas. Um, oh, sorry, Lewis. Lewis wins that race, and they had they were faster on the dry weather. <sighs> Turkey, Bottas wins that race. And if Bottas wins a race, then Mercedes obviously had the better friggin' car. Um, Brazil, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and Abu Dhabi are all Lewis's engine, right? So that's that's 12 out of the 22 races. In, yeah. my, in my opinion, it was clear cut. It was close, but it was clear cut. Mercedes had the better car. Let's look at qualifying results. Okay. So many people have turned this off. By I now. have far fewer statistics than I felt like I should have had given how this is going currently. Actually, you know what? I want you to, I want you to guess. Okay. The average qualifying um, for the top four drivers, Lewis, Valtteri, Max, and Checo. Like the their average, average position? Their average positioning to start the race this year. It has to be a weird decimal number because it's an average, No, well, just, right? just, oh. give me like a, just give me a full number. It's fine. Or you can give me a decimal. I don't care. What do you think is the closest? Let's start with Lewis. Lewis had a do engine penalties don't account. Yeah, they for do this. count. They, they do. do count. They do count. Oh, then Lewis's is going to be weird. Lewis's is going to be like I don't know, like four. Two point one four. Oh, really? Two point one. It's a lot higher. Valtteri. Oh, his is going to be like five or something. Three point six. Also higher than I would have thought. Max. One point something. Two point nine. Oh, really? Checo. Oh, his is also going to be like five or six. Six point five. Yeah. <laughs> so. Okay. Mercedes has a total of 5.7. Yeah. Red Bull has a total of 8. Uh, 9.4. 9.4, okay? That's the performance in qualifying between the two drivers. Clearly, the edge goes to Mercedes there. Is adding there. them up a fair way to do that? Just a- absolutely. The They're together? in the same car, man. Right. Because here's the thing. So people people shit on Valtteri all the time, myself included. Okay. Valtteri is not, not talented. So He's just not Lewis. People believe that Max and Lewis had the equal talent this year, right? And they believe that Checo is a better driver than Valtteri. So if you believe that the Red Bull was actually a better car, there's no way in the world that Sergio Perez should have had a 6.5 average in qualifying versus Valtteri's 3.6. Yeah, That's crazy. My only pushback would be you're getting into the intangibles of driver performance where it's like some of those are like we said because Checo was struggling with the car and sure. it's hard to account for that do in you, a number. Do you know why he was struggling with the car? It's harder to handle. The Mercedes yeah. is the easiest car to handle. 
That's why they're better at qualifying because <laughs> it's the better car, Corey. Okay, quickly, I'm going to finish this up sure. Qu- quickly. Um, let's compare mistakes, errors, poor driving this season that ended up costing a position. Okay, I, I, I swear to God, I tried to make this like I wanted, I wanted a few instances where Max clearly it was his fault that he didn't perform well. But we just mentioned, you know, it was the greatest like consistent season of all time. So Bahrain overtake attempt. Also, what a tone setter for that season. For sure, for Bahrain. sure. Like, so he, it was entirely his fault. He had the room. Lewis gave him the space. He just couldn't keep the car on the track. Lost P1. Second, uh, the, his quality mishap in Saudi. Maybe it's a different race if he has pole. Maybe. Th- see, this yeah. is how fair I'm giving. Yeah. I don't even believe that it's a different race if he has pole. Oh, so I don't that, actually that believe that. That would have been fucking incredible. Yeah, for sure. Now let's get to Lewis, okay? Could Wait, have... so you're stopping it too? Absolutely, okay. too. And, and I'll, I'll, I just want to set that up. I, I'm going to list some Lewis stuff. You yep. think about where Max went wrong this season and you let me know. And this has nothing to do with dangerous <laughs> driving. This has nothing to do with like pushing guys off the tra- track or getting penalties or whatever. This is just driving performance. Okay, mm. how they were able to push the car. I'm really close to you right now. I'm getting really intense. <laughs> how they were able to push the car yeah. and how well molded they were with that car and their race craft. Okay, Lewis could have won in Imola, threw it into the gravel trap. Could have won for sure. Monaco, horrendous pace. I think he finished P7 or something like that and yeah. Max won the race. Uh, Monaco was a shit show for Mercedes like up and down. He threw away 25 points in Baku. Entirely his fault. Driver error. Entirely his fault. Lost P3 to, to, to Lando in Austria. People don't remember. Uh, I, I had, I People complete, remember. I completely, <laughs> for, I completely forgot about that. He, yeah. uh, he missed his braking into turn one and went over the sausage curbs. And then Lando had a decent car that week, but like Lewis had no pace because he, he broke his front wing and had some damage under the car. Totally his fault. Threw away a podium. Threw away yet another win in Hungary when he didn't pit before the restart entirely entirely his fault another race with peak restart fuckery by the way <laughs> like that was so weird i'm not done here by the way oh i know oh there's more mm-hmm. i can't believe how lopsided this is like it's it was truly i but was I, shocked it, with how I many do instances say in fairness because we've set up that like your preference but like <laughs> people have largely agreed yes that sure. lewis was off yeah at parts of the season like he mm. was not characteristically himself so but that's my that's my reasoning for yeah, no. for why it wasn't even close this year with how like impressive like he was crazy impressive but max was like god level okay got out qualified by a williams and spa come on i don't think that should count oh my god all right okay fine well, okay let's think about, think about the conditions and think about what that looks like under normal circumstances mm. because let's be honest george apparently can only fucking show up on Saturdays anyway and definitely benefited from a clearing of conditions later in the session that listen I agree that wet weather conditions bring cars closer together they don't make a Williams and a Mercedes equal I will push back on this one still that is okay you said to push back okay you know what then I'll okay then (laughs) instead of eight instances I guess I'll 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 just leave it with seven Um, yeah he was was having a shocker in Italy before Max's poor pit stop ended up you know bringing them together before that uh he was in like p7 p6 p6 p7 screwed it up in this in the sprint qualifying and then because Italy is actually somehow hard to overtake nowadays, super weird how the aero packages and like the small yeah, rear wings. so good. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. really weird. But he was having a shocker in Italy. And then, um, you know, uh, I also want to uh, end with um, uh, the poor decision to, to pit and ended the race in P5. 
um, in uh, in Turkey. Yeah. How the, much of those? The team told him to pit. He said, "I don't think it's the right uh, yeah. decision," and then he pitted. Do you think um, Hungary could be a team mistake instead of a Lewis mistake? Because it was the same. No, not pitting. No, no, because um, wasn't wasn't it like illegal for the drivers to talk to their uh, teams? Was it? I don't remember. Either way, every single driver on that grid, right. like you can't tell me that like the, a guy who sees everyone pitting in front of him doesn't think, hmm, what are the advantages of starting P2 on the grid right now, right? So Lewis sees this incredibly dry track, a one that George Russell has is screaming to his team. Um, I don't believe they were able to talk back to him though. It's dry. Everyone will pit. Everyone will pit. This is a race in which Max Verstappen, Lewis knew, had... The, the utmost amount of damage and he was not going to have to fight with him if he ended up being on the right tires to start the race so totally on him in my opinion you could argue it was hubris at that point if nothing else you're just like yeah we're, we're mercedes we're fine <laughs> we're just gonna yeah. hang out on the grid for a while so uh thus ends my callum talk yeah you know i mean like have i won how much have i won you over if any you've won me over i don't like it's not like i wasn't cognizant of those things already um, maybe a couple I would have forgotten about because, you know, been a long season, but... Um, so you I, weren't being truthful. Is that what you're saying? You sorry. were not being truthful. No, but what I was going to say was <laughs> I do think the comeback push accounts for a lot. Like, in when I judge them together, because it does speak to something in... Because we've seen other drivers... Like, let's talk about those seasons with Seb. I know his car kind of sucked, but before the Ferrari got arguably uh just caught cheating uh and they had to nerf their car like seb was facing difficulties in throwing yeah. com competition away and lewis did not do that yeah. clawed it back mm -hmm. and i think that does count for something okay i i want to i want to preface this with i do believe mm. especially with like his um, his restraint in Saudi Arabia, like how Lewis handled that race was incredible. The comeback from Brazil through Qatar, through Saudi Arabia, and up until the final five laps of Abu Dhabi, it was incredible. Yeah. Those are all engine-driven circuits. Every single one of them is an engine-driven circuit. And like Toto said, they had a spicy package. And it was clear that that was by far the best car that we had seen in the entire season. Like better than what Red Bull, the package Red Bull had in Bahrain, better than, you know, Max in the middle of the season when he was like just trouncing people in Austria. Like Lewis's car was, is probably the, that's the, probably the fastest F1 car we've ever seen. Luck of the draw. <laughs> I guess we're moving on. <laughs> well, we don't have to. It's just that. No, it's fine. I'm not going to, I'm not going to win you over and I understand that. Um, and I'm not really trying to. Um, I think I think I'm maybe having a, just a slightly more even keel, but I don't think anything you're saying is inherently wrong. Again, Lewis had a mistake-prone season. That's just true. Like, what do you what do you want to go on to now? I I feel like we've like we have these you know greatest season of all time. I, yes, yes, yes. Moving on. Can we move on? Pretty also. Yeah. Uh, I think that we've essentially had the stewarding conversation. Yeah, I want to actually. Okay, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. I want to make one comment. Um, so the, the topic of like how much of a problem has the FIA became, in case became, it does become? not, in case it does need to, in fact, go said, uh, it was a fucking disaster. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, so much condemnation will derive from what happened in Abu Dhabi and rightfully so totally yeah. rightfully, rightfully so. 
But like the non-controversial or like, you know, headliney incidents in my, they're almost, they're almost like more of a stain on the stewards. 21. The fact that the reputation is so inherently poor. So Pierre Gasly getting a five second penalty for being sandwiched between Checo and uh, Fernando at, at Turkey was just like a wild, wild decision. And then also like the inconsistent penalties we saw between Perez, Norris, and uh, Leclerc or Sainz at in Austria, like yeah. that was a horrible race as well. And then like Saudi Arabia when they're like offering Red Bull, hey, where do you want to start on the grid? By the yeah. way, <laughs> and also, also when you look at Saudi again, um, it not even being remotely clear what infraction yeah. Max is yeah. getting a penalty Absolutely. for, because like, look, you can decide that something is deserving of a penalty mm-hmm. but if you cannot clarify what you're even fucking talking mm-hmm. about funniest part of the season uh may- maybe think of your own uh, uh your own award funniest part of the season funniest part of the season to me was when michael massey offered red bull p2 i forgot and about they, <laughs> and they said absolutely we will take p2 and he went uh 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 um right right Ocon's leading the race um what about p3 guys yeah that was really good <laughs> funny as hell um i want to say last thing i'll say on the on the the fia um, it was entirely their fault that they let the season kind of... They uh, let it get out of hand so quickly well, that like they, there was no... Yeah, exactly. But the reason why Saudi Arabia... Now, Max is like aggressive driving and almost... And, you know, borderline or, you know, definite dangerous driving in Saudi Arabia is on him for sure. Yeah, like the brake check but, is a little fucking ridiculous. But, but. you are enabling... And uh, an aggressive driver even further when you don't penalize him for what he did in Brazil. Well, and what that I was going to say, precedent-setting decision. That's what I was going to say because if you remember, after Brazil, Charles Leclerc says, "If we can do yeah. that now, I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. If this is what the racing is, it's part of it now." And honestly, I think that problem, because this was a problem in 2020 as well, stems back to the simplest of things which is the FIA cannot even decide what the basics of enforcement look like. Yeah. Case in point, you can't honestly tell me that every week or every circuit, I should say, you are going to selectively choose what is racetrack and what is not. <laughs> so like, good. like you can't just, and through practice sessions, just being like, oh, actually, this is track limits now, and now this is the curb, and we're not checking turn yeah. 14. And, like, what are you fucking talking yeah. about? If the baseline of we drive the cars on this is not clear, then how can we inspect you to reasonably and rationally enforce rule the rules of a sport that we are watching yeah. And not like a fucking soap opera. Mm-hmm. There are great elements of drama in the sport that draw people in and that's there. But it's like the bottom line is you need a foundation for that to happen on. And this was like crumbling the whole time. The base, the, the, the base talent that you need as an F1 driver is to get every single inch of advantage that you can, that you can get from the car, from the track limits, from everything. And if those limits are not made very clear, very obvious, mm-hmm. very distinct, then they're going to play with them. It's like, their job. It's Yeah, <laughs> it's why they're the best. It's because they see the smallest margins and they push them. Yeah. All right. Don't, I, think, it, don't think it would have helped Charles much, but okay. his, his season was kind of <laughs> shocking. <laughs> this is... Um, 
this is a topic I'm actually really interested to to hear your thoughts on. Okay. Um, not that I wasn't interested to hear your thoughts on everything else. Very cool. Um, I am very passionate on my ta- my my take on this. Um, I almost feel like I should let you go first here. Let me ask you the question: Has has F one become too polarizing? There have been a lot of people that are really worried about how the fan base is treating each other, um, how Toto and Christian are battling in the media, uh, what Lewis and Max say to each other after the races. What is your take? Has, has F1 become too, too, um, too angry of a sport? I think that there are dis- distinctions that have to be made between what you're talking about when you're saying because there are different aspects of it that are that are having different problem points and i think like at the base level if you look at like discussion of the sport and like social media and everything absolute fucking cesspool like it's a disaster like when it's all just like copy pastas and like fraud bulletin and Kristappen and that's all you can get and nobody can have a conversation anymore like i think on a fan level uh, particularly between the top drivers, there is this lack of interest in considering anything as a whole that is completely fucking exhausting. I would also put that together with um, Toto and Christian specifically only because the other team principals don't really get to talk much. Um, I find them exhausting. At the same time, I recognize that it's their responsibility to petition for the best result for their team. It's part of their job. But the the degree to which that became front and center narratively to how the season was going felt frustrating to me. But I think the, the biggest thing is it's so grim because it's so um, central, centralized. It's like... <laughs> You're not getting ratioed on Twitter by a Lance Stroll fan. You're just not. Every, like, everyone has picked a, a side in the yeah, fight you mean, like, like between Max and Lewis and Mercedes. And, and, and so when you're saying polarization, I think very specifically this season, yeah. that was a problem because once you did choose a side, there was it, it was more ironclad than like things of wars have been fought over. Like it was no room at all. And that tribalism was really exhausting um i think when it comes to stuff like booing grow up Hmm. like what i think Hmm. if a driver is getting booed okay the fans are allowed to do that absolutely like i i thought that was a little bit weak in terms of response to being like oh well people shouldn't be booing it's like oh oh i sorry i completely misinterpreted your point yes i agree with this yeah yeah yeah, yeah. like yeah. I, people, grow the fuck up you ever yeah. been to a you ever been to a hockey game before you ever been to a you fucking ever soccer? soccer game before like, yeah like, and look, oh my god there's a fine line between booing and being like violent <laughs> in your outrage toward a driver yeah. that's different that's also not what's happening yeah absolutely nobody <laughs> is throwing rotten food at lewis and max it's just not happening I think like, yeah, so the media response to things like Lewis getting booed is too much. It's it's pearl clutching like yeah. I've never seen before. Whereas, and whereas like, because in, in the past, 
um, you know, like there have been things like racist incidents in the stands, uh, yeah, yeah. things like it. That's also different. That's yeah. not what booing is. Lewis does not deserve um vitriol and like racist hate mm-hmm. and like outlash from fans at all. Obviously, should not even need to be said. But they're allowed to boo him. <laughs> yeah. And they're also allowed to boo Max, which did happen as well. Yeah, like, Silverstone. Yeah, and I think that's really what it is and it's weird because it also comes along part and parcel with this weird thing of just like oh like people need to be showing more class and it's like well what does that mean what like the like it's such a boring thought but like i think f1 uh diehards obsessives the people that really believe in the sport they want to have it both ways they want it to be a professional sport in which brings in so many passionate fans that it ends up, you know, creating an even more exciting environment. But they also want the, the masses to react and to behave how these individuals behave. So the, the classiest of the F1 fans, you know, the ones that know all the stats and they know the history. Just a bunch of old fucking they, boring nerds. And they respect the sport. Like, and oh my gosh, the days of Emerson Fittipaldi and uh, Gilles Villeneuve, you would have never, like, that's when the sport, like... Grow the hell up. All James Hunt did was have sex, man. We, <laughs> like, we, we need to get over it. And on top of that, too, like, we are in an, a social media age that is enabling... The landscape is just different. It is enabling like, the worst type of person, and it will never not enable the worst type of person. So when you complain that the Instagram comments are, you know... Uh, you know, F- mafia, maf FIA or whatever, or like, you know, Lewis sucks or whatever, man, it's, it's all it is, is people that barely watch the sport that think it's going to be funny to add that comment. And they want a thousand likes I, that has nothing to do with the purity of the sport. It has yeah. nothing to do with F1 itself. It's literally just social fucking media. I would like to see the conversation there be better, but I do think there are a lot of people that don't then you have, recognize that. The thing that. is though, but it's 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 a it's outliers yeah. in a mass of millions, right? And then they end up getting the the uh the the, yeah. the, the Well, it's the, not outli- well, I I want to push back only slightly that it's not outliers in the sense that on social media that's all you're seeing. Like and I I will die on that hill when I go under tweets related to F1 anything mm-hmm. or see reply it is nothing but copy pastas or like ratio or like whatever or stupid fucking comments it's it's endless so i don't mind the people that do, like make it comedic and you know really like stand the shit out of their drivers yeah. but, There's but, a in, but in, my, in my opinion the ones that are going too far you know yeah. quote unquote too far are just like they're probably not even F one fans. Yeah. Or oh, they- and actually, you just opened. Sorry, but you just opened the door to something I do want to say, because there are there is this contingent of people. I think it's the same uh, angry old man classiness contingent we just complained about, who seem to just hate young people and how like online culture rallies around people that are liked, like standing and things like that. Where it's like, and I want to use Lando as an example because I think it's the easiest. Um, because a lot of younger people are getting into the sport through an accessibility point of just like a young guy who's also on Twitch and just doing whatever, who just mm-hmm. happens to drive a car really fast. And there are, there, I feel like there's this, this 
contingent of people i don't know how big it is who were like oh annoying fangirls blah whatever and it's just like do you want people to care about f1 ever again new fans need to come from somewhere and lando is one of the best marketing tools the sport has so you have to welcome this different kind of conversation and discourse and there is a distinction in my eyes between that which is largely just loud but supportive and very opening or, or open to others versus the other thing. I also do want to say I find it rich that um, like uh, media pundits will complain about polarization while feeding directly <laughs> yeah. into it. While creating just, it. Yeah, and it's just like, <laughs> well, pick a fucking figure it out, man. I, so I guess like to try to like whittle this down into like an actual point i think you're seeing tension between a new type of fan that just exists versus what a certain old hat contingent would want Mm -hmm. to see and you are seeing the nature of social media rub up against something that was genuinely tense and controversial is it too polarizing maybe is there wiggle room for some of that Yes, in that I don't think every driver deserves a golf clap after every race. Like, just a polite little, oh, you did it. Like, <laughs> yeah. whatever. But some people need to figure it out. I Last thing I'll say on this. I uh, you Again, this is like the, you, can't, you can't have it both ways. Because F1, four years ago, was a very popular sport. But it still felt like a niche, um, a niche entertainment uh, medium. It, yeah. it felt like a, a niche kind of like, if you were an F1 fan, especially in North America, people would be like, is that like NASCAR? Yeah. Or, or someone would be like, oh man, it's, it's, it's complicated. I don't know if I could get into it. I didn't know there was a race in Montreal until like two years right. ago. I was a NASCAR fan growing up. Like I watched motorsports and I still didn't know that. What the Netflix documentary has done for this sport on a pure like money scale. But and it's blown it wide the a- fuck absolutely. open. But, but here's the thing. So people want the added popularity and the and the the money and the extra funds that come with like whatever like F1 can but expand the season the right they don't want the reality of casual fans becoming the more um prominent type pro- yeah, of fan absolutely and this is why like some people like people hate the NFL so much is because everyone and their friend is a is a fan of an a football team or likes to watch the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. A lot of a lot of NFL fans least favorite games of the year is the Super Bowl because everyone tweets about it. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. People that don't even know how many points you get for a field goal tweet about the Super Bowl. So this has become the reality for every single race in Formula 1 and you can either take a side of the Netflix documentary is bad and I don't like it because of what it's done to the sport in all aspects, or you can shut up and accept the reality is much better than what we had four years ago. Yeah. And I, I s- think it's much better. Dude, I have 10 friends now yeah. that, that watch F1 that didn't before the documentary. And I'm, and I'm, I'm, we're, we would never do this fucking podcast if it no. wasn't for the documentary. I, I, and as somebody who, had drive to survive as a prominent part of that. I will say, um, in my mind, I did first get into it on the, on the basis of watching races. Mm -hmm. And then I went home and I was like, Oh yeah, drive to survive. And then that sort of, that tipped you over the edge. Yeah. Because it catches you up and it contextualizes it. And also 
it introduces you to the people is is some of it contrived of course it is is some of it entirely inaccurate yes absolutely does some team radio just get put where it didn't happen but it's fun but it's fun steve (laughs) come on come on it's fun if you know you know um and but what i think is what that's opening up the door to in much the same way that like introducing younger fans but i feel like it's a different way to watch the sport and enjoy it is more on the basis of character or interest in the the drivers and like their relationships Mm -hmm. to each other yeah rather than and like the camaraderie of that rather than like the reality of like on track whatever and strategy and the season is a hollywood movie yeah the reality show is a reality show yeah and i as somebody who i feel like my interest in f1 is informed by that kind of like fun attachment to like certain drivers and like seeing certain drivers hang out and being like i love it when they hang out (laughs) carlos and lando were together it's the best day of my life like over under on uh uh, minutes that uh netflix spends on valtteri opening up a coffee shop in finland i'm gonna set it at 17 and a half uh in this this next uh series i can see that and i think part of the reason is obviously they want to establish these people as people like away from the track and i get that that's that's important. Are you taking the over or the under? Oh, uh, under. Okay. Um, <laughs> but more what I mean when I say that is just um, there are also new ways to be interested in F1 that aren't reliant on this like deep knowledge of like what, how you might best execute this undercut. Mm-hmm. And I think that's good part of the reason I could get into it so quickly was not really needing to know that right away and just being like impressed with both the driving and the fact that I hadn't seen circuits like that before. It's a a spectacle at, at at first glance, it's a spectacle. Yeah. And then there's, there's depth to it, but you have to be open to people Mm -hmm. enjoying it on the spectacle level or even that personal level, like with just driver relationships and standing and whatever Mm -hmm. and the depth level and all of those things being a valid way to enjoy the sport. Where are we at here, Corey? In terms of time. We are, if you consider the stuff that I'm going to have to cut out, we're only at about an hour and 20 minutes. All right. I think we should just go right into driver grades. Can I make an argument against that? Because I want to end with driver grades, and I think we should do oh, you wanna... best worst races. Quick. Oh, my gosh. I forgot about that. That is my fault. Okay. Can I make a, can I make a suggestion? Yeah. What if we end this episode right now? You think so? And then do a part two. With 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 top three, bottom three, and driver grades. Okay, that would be fine. Sure. Should we keep this in? People are people are like some people like behind the scenes. Oh god. If it's part one and part two, they're allowed to be connected by weird. Thanks for listening to Strat Two. This is how we end the show. So here's what I'm gonna do, Cal. You look (laughs) terrified. You look absolutely (laughs) horrified as we end this show. So, yes, this is uh, part one of the inaugural launch of Strat 2 in whatever form it ends up looking like by the time you're hearing this, whenever that may be. And so you can tune in next week, next month. Who knows? Well, we've got to space it out because our next episode after part two will almost certainly almost certainly be, hey, the season's starting up again. What did you think about Drive to Survive? So we don't peek behind the curtain we do not have what i would describe as infinite time no to do this show i'm an author you're a, a, a host 
Yes. In our, in our spare time. Yes. So, um, this will be a sparing, a sparingly done show unless in the future we find some kind of solid footing. Mm -hmm. So brace yourself for that. Which is very unlikely. First and foremost, this is a vessel for us to have this conversation in the first place. Um, which I think it did a fantastic job of allowing us to do. So you can keep an eye out uh, for that. And what I will say is that if you uh, are curious to see more from either of us, Callum, do you have anything you want to plug? No, not at all. Not um, at all. If uh, yeah, don't get your expectations too high um, because I started a weekly blog in April that we both wrote for, and there are a total of three posts on it and it is December. But there will at least be a part two of this. Absolutely. That's a guarantee. Because, it, because we're going to do it in five minutes. <laughs> Spoilers. Yeah. Bye. Sure. <laughs>